Welcome to the Weekly Exchange. This week in Forex and Strategy Game News, we have updates on Stellaris, Civilization VI, Thea II, Star Control, and much, much more. Troy. Hey Troy, welcome to the show. Hey Nate, how are you doing tonight? I'm I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. We had some weather this week. Oh my uh, goodness. Yes, snow in November. Yeah, we've had it before. I don't know, six, seven years ago, something like that. We had a eight years ago. No, it wasn't eight. It was like it was like five or six years ago. We had a blizzard at the end of October, the Halloween blizzard that knocked out the power to the state for a week. We had power where we were at, but the rest of the state didn't. So, like, everybody, like, moved to our area for, like, a week. And, like, all the retailers were like, it's summer again. Woo! So, it was it was an interesting Halloween. But, yeah, so we got, like, I don't know, like, six inches or something like that. But it's mostly gone already. It's too warm, you know? Well, yeah, it's way too early for that sort of thing. Uh, I don't remember getting snow where I lived this early in the year. I just hope mm-hmm. it's not a portent of things to come where we're just going to get buried this winter. A sign important of what's to come? Yeah, I hope not. So it is what it is. Yeah, It is what it is. Well, let's Anyways. talk about a place where there's not much uh, snow, outer space. So why don't you start uh, us off with uh, Star Zeal? I, I don't know if I can say there's not much snow in space. We do not know that. There's a lot of stuff we don't know. There aren't a lot of... Uh, uh, There's a lot of frozen water, water vapor space. clouds just hanging out in space. Anyway, Nate, why don't you we start us off with Star so. Sure thing. So, Star Zeal is a tiny little 4X, and it's uh, made by Studio. We, I've been talking about it. Whenever the dev sends me updates, I talk about it. So, it's, it's out of the Far East. It's a small studio. Um, let's get to it. So, this week, three major things. Well, this dev diary, three major things. We're done. So there was a change in colony management and resource. Now, unless you've been following closely, getting into too much detail won't make any difference. But uh, in essence, the idea behind the changes are to minimize micromanagement. So instead of having where you are going in and tweaking every little thing, you can set priorities four different priorities for what you want your colony to have being civil industry science and military so you don't have to worry about like oh i gotta build buildings i gotta do this i gotta do that you don't you set priorities and then the colony develops that way and that's great because in a space 4x a lot of times what happens like i'll give you an example think of stellaris as Early on, there's a lot of control in place to keep you from expanding. But as the game gets bigger and bigger, you expand more and more and more, and micromanagement becomes hell. So (laughs) in this game... In this game, in Starzeal, they're jumping ahead of it, and they're adjusting it. And I can give you a modern... Can I give you a modern example of somebody that did this well? I don't Um, think I can give you a modern one. Master Ryan 1 kind of did that. that. Yeah, but that's not modern. 
I'm, I mean, I'm oh, talking about okay. So I mean, you mean like in the last 10 years? Hmm. Yeah, Sword of the Stars 1 did it really well. Um, let me see what else. I think Dawn of Andromeda also did a pretty okay job for it. So this is this is an interesting change. I mean, I'm all for streamlining to remove micromanagement as long as you still make choices that are important and relevant. So that's one. Now, another thing that changed are resources. So another way... Another way that you get stuck with micromanagement, again, I'll use Stellaris, is when you're dealing with resources or even Galsif 3, but that was tweaked there. Like you have to collect resources to build ships, to build space stations, to upgrade space stations, to upgrade ships. And it's this never-ending cycle of micromanagement. So what they did here with resources is that they changed it. Um, they changed the way that you account for them. So you're not counting, I have 50 iron or 50 titanium or 50 energy or whatever. It's more about how you have, how much is available. So let's say if you have on a planet, on a mining planet, you have so many resources available, it'll count that versus how much, versus actually having like a piggy bank where you're accumulating resources. So later on you can distribute them to do something. So this is, this is a cleaning up process and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Now, the second thing that they did is they upgraded the AI factions, specifically the pirates and the criminal factions. So these would be the ones that are, you know, are opposing you that are popping up. So they, they're smarter. They commit their forces differently and it should make the game more interesting. Again, you'd have to play to be able to know that. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see once once we get access once. I mean, we sort of have access, but I mean, when the game is in a state that's worth really examining or even for the review, you know, we'll we'll have better feedback. And then finally, um, little graphical things. So, again, this is a small studio. This is not going to be, a, you know, a AAA production. It's not going to be a Stellaris or an Endless Space or, you know, Galsif 3 or you know any of the space games but you know what it doesn't look bad it doesn't look bad the ui there'll be a link in the notes so you can see the ui does not look terrible you know it looks very serviceable lots of important information is conveyed it's easy to tell what you're looking at so i'm i'm very curious i mean as long as we keep getting info about the game being developed we'll keep reporting on it because you never know not everybody wants to have a game that just blows them away graphically and ends up being shallow, you know, behind the scenes. So, yeah, no doubt about it. Well, Endless Space 2 got an update this week and it's pretty exciting in my mind. First, they the developers over at Amplitude announced two new DLC. The first one is called The Lost No, I'm sorry. It's called Harmonic Memories and it's a music pack, and what they did is they got the artist Fly By No to reimagine and remix songs from the original Endless Space for Endless Space 2. And I know some people might be inclined to go, oh, they're making you pay for music? That's kind of lame. The thing is, Fly By No is a fantastic artist. A, a brilliant artist, in my opinion, for, for video game music anyway. And... I love his music. So I think $2.99 for a bunch of new songs is a fair price. I'm excited about this. I think it's nine songs, like a couple of new ones and a couple of uh, remixed, remastered 
uh, tunes from Endless Space 1. Now, as a quick interjection, I think Endless Space 1 had one of the best soundtracks in modern 4X, period. And as awesome as Endless, the Endless Space 2 soundtrack is, I don't think it was as good as the Endless Space 1. So this little 299 DLC, which is out, by the way, now, it's, I think it's a killer deal. The second one is called Celestial Worlds, and this one introduces a new quest line. It's a huge quest line that anybody can do. It's got 14 different chapters in it, which is really cool, and multiple endings. Uh, it, it centers around the Academy, which is where you get your heroes in Endless Space 2, and it appears there's a bit of chaos and anarchy going on there at the at the Academy. The uh, the guy in charge, Izander. am I pronouncing that right, Nate? Isander, Isander. Isander, all right, Isander. <laughs> sure. Uh, seems to be losing control, so you're going to explore that. In addition, there's going to be two new unique planets which are involved in the quest, six new weapon modules, and eight new empire improvements, which is really fantastic. Also with this is coming patch 1.3.27, and there's a bunch of balances and changes. All of the fa- uh, all the major factions, all the factions you can play, uh, are getting rebalances and changes. One I notice is the unfallen. The the vines will take time to receive recede even when incomplete and their vining modules are now twenty percent faster. I didn't think the unfollow needed a buff. I thought they were already pretty good. I, I think it's for the early pirate rush, especially oh, the okay. AI struggles with the pirates, unless you're playing on really high difficulties. So this boosts them. But uh, the thing the um, they did not make any changes to the necrophages because they're really strong already. So almost all the major factions, but I think all the stuff they did is fantastic because yeah. it's based on feedback. Yeah, and also for uh, space battles, they, they're really reworking like the deck of tactics cards. So some you could only get at anomalies, some you could get in the tech tree, and they're reshuffling all that. They're taking some out of the tech tree to make it simpler, so... I don't know how much this is really going to help space battles, Nate. Uh, we'll just have to see what all the, the switchering around does. But anyway, including this also is a bunch of bug fixes and things like that. So Endless Space 2 is getting more stuff and it's getting better. Absolutely. And now let's talk about Stellaris. So this week, it's a very short one and it primarily focuses on the slave market. And it's talking about how... Uh, you, you need so this is part of the paid content. I think this is very very important to say. So, you need to have your mega corps up, and you need to have basically you need to have access to the marketplace, to the galactic market, in order to do this. And what you're doing is is you're trading slaves between empires, or selling slaves between empires that are slavers or enslavers. And there's three key takeaways here. Number one. It, it's interesting. I'll, it'll it'll be interesting to see how this affects the marketplace in general. Like, do you capture planets so you can enslave them and sell off their their you know the people that survived your wars? You know, how is that going to play out? Um, different slaves have different values. I mean, on the, so here's the thing. As far as games go, this is. It's interesting. Now, when I play Stellaris, I never played with any um, 
I never played any civilizations that took slaves. I didn't have any second-class citizens. I never did any of that. Being an immigrant myself and having a background where I had to deal with being different makes me sensitive to it. You know what I mean? So I choose not to play that way. But I know that there's going to be people out there that are going to be like really angry about this. Oh, what's what are you doing? And the thing is, this is a game. This is part of the game. You know, it's it's not mandatory. It's optional. This was there from the beginning. Like when they first started talking about when Martin was talking about it, they were always discussing this is a possibility. So that's that's one. Now the second thing that's interesting, and this is actually a tiny little spin-off from our very like our number one thread or post. In our forums is the Stellaris one, like over 7,600 or 300 or some ridiculous number of replies in there. And one of the things that we're constantly discussing is that as the game moves on further and further and more and more DLC comes, some it would be nice if there was a version release that had like all the DLC incorporated. Like some games do it, like Galactic Civilizations, for example. Their base version of the game now includes uh, Crusades. So Crusades is, you know, the basic version now. Everything and includes several free content pieces in it. So that's kind of what's happening here. As they make changes, as they're changing subsystems, they're realizing that some of the stuff that people paid for in the past would have to be removed and people would be like, wait, I paid for this. Why would it be removed? So they're making it free. So they're doing stuff like Unity Ambitions are basically going to be free now with the base game. And then they're changing around the mandates. That's also a free update, though it was already free, but there were additional ones that were added. So as you know, as they're doing all the tweaks under the engine, they're having to change I don't know, the appearance of the package, I guess, I don't know, the performance, whatever whatever uh, euphemism you want to use here. But yeah, that's definitely something that we've discussed is that some of the older DLC does not make sense to sell individually at this point, especially considering how the game has changed. And Paradox sees that, so they're incorporating it. So that's pretty cool. I, you know, I want to see more of that from their other titles like Crusader Kings 2, Europa Universalis, because those games have like 40 DLC, 35 DLC, and they're continuing to get it. So it would be nice if some of the earlier stuff was just automatically incorporated into the game. You didn't have to spend extra to get it, you know? Yeah, I'm totally with you on that, completely. (laughs) So uh, next we're going to talk about Interstellar Space Genesis, and uh, they just released their pre-alpha 11 unstable hotfix which that's that's a very uh unnerving name for uh a hotfix you're releasing calling it unstable but whatever uh anyhow in in this uh this installment of the game uh they're implementing uh, well for a lot of uh, quality of life stuff so now you can pan around the map using the arrow keys and the wazda keys uh, they did some rebalancing with uh, space culture and uh, military ga- garrisons, this sort of thing. Um, they're trying to improve diplomacy. And in addition, uh, they're working on heroes. And this is interesting, or leaders in this game. Your leaders in ISG can ask for shore leave. That means, I guess they want to go on vacation. Like I'm not sure I've ever heard of a 4X game where your units or your your personalities in the game can say, hey, you know, I need some R&R. <laughs> hey, hey, you did say you wanted something different in your games, right? Uh, 
you are constantly going on about how everything is the same. Let's try something different. Well, here you go, something different. Yeah, it it, it is different. Um, I expect, I mean, you want to uh, go on vacation, right? Unquestioned obedience to my tyrannical rule is what I prefer out of my game pieces. But all right, <laughs> we'll see how that is. Also, this is pretty cool. The game now requires 1.5 gigabytes less of RAM to run on. So that is some good coding work right there. That's a lot that's, to optimize. Yeah, they're cleaning it up. They're, that's Look, these guys have been doing a fantastic job with the game, with updates. I mean, they're, they're a small group. They're, they're basically the space sector. The website, they said, like, ah, we can do it better. And they are. They're really putting... Putting metal, you know, the the metal to the pedal to the metal, you know. So, um, yeah, we're 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 excited, we're curious. I know Oliver is going to be doing a piece for it sometime in the near future. Yeah, next time so, this game has an update, let's let's try to have him on to talk about it. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. So I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh Keep no, going. that was pretty much it. Other than just the usual rebalances, bug fixes. That's all we have to say about ISG this week. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move out of orbit onto the surface, but let's stay in space and in the future. And let's talk about Age of Wonders Planetfall. So this past week, they hinted that the next faction they're going to reveal are going to be the Dvar. And I was really hoping that the Dev Diary would be about the Dvar, but... Actually, the Dev Diary is about the Marauders. These are basically the neutrals, but these are not the neutrals that you, the friendlies, the ones that you can capture or convert or, you know, try to convince. These ones are just, they attack everybody and everything. And in Age of Wonders 3, you had basically different types of spawn points that would spawn them. So you had like an undead version. You had, so they didn't spawn from cities. These were like sites that would just spawn them constantly. Like they had them on the sea. They had them in various spots on land. My least favorite of all were the undead ones because if you didn't handle them, they would spawn stronger and stronger and stronger units. And like their, their tier four units were undead dragons, skeleton dragons. Those guys were bastards well they're kind of this is kind of something similar to that now but it's different because the terrain is different between planetfall and age of wonders 3 because in age of wonders 3 it was just cities and you know points of interest on the map here you have sectors or what some would consider would be like the regions in endless legend so what these marauding units do, and there's different types. I'll tell you about them in a second. What they do is they, they start spawning early on, like five, ten turns after the game starts, they'll start spawning. But when you see a unit, they don't immediately attack you. They'll give you like a turn to, you know, I don't know, change your mind and go in a different direction maybe if you're scouting so you don't lose your scout earlier on or, you know, give you a second to kind of decide how you're going to handle them. Now, and they do different things. If they are on top of a sector, you can't really get anything out of the sector. So, so almost like they're sieging the sector. Also, when they attack, they first prioritize targeting the scouts before they start attacking other things like the cities or developments in sectors. Now, if they go after your center and they go to raise it 
it, it's not instantaneous. So it takes three turns. So maybe you have a chance to stop them. If not, it downgrades it further. It can start a revolt on it. It can start, you know, creates anarchy in the settlement. So that's that's very interesting mechanic for, you know, space barbarian. Now, there are three different types of space barbarian. You have the insect variety, which, I mean, who doesn't love nasty disgusting insects that follow your ships from place to place and spawn ever more violent and beastly units. So they have something called the hopper hound manhunter. Looks like a giant cockroach. Then they have the hopper hound <laughs> eviscerator, which looks like some kind of a tyrannid crust with a grasshopper or maybe something or something crazy like that and then they have the mega beetle adult so just to get an idea <laughs> then they have another faction called the quartzites and these guys look look like they're straight up from endless space and endless legend the harmony or the silicoids you know uh-huh and yeah. uh they're pretty cool they have um a, the quartzite crystal basher they have a quartzite liquid flame there's other ones right then they have the aquatic units the chillus and the octo whale so those ones will torment and terrorize everything on the water and then finally you're like okay so so far we have you know one type of alien another type of alien a third type of alien but you know this is a this is the star union it collapsed it fell apart you know, can't we have something from the Star Union? So they have something called the E-Bots. And there's both male and female variants. And these E-Bots are basically sex machines, is what I'm getting from it. They were, um, these were androids okay. employed in the darker crevices of the entertainment <laughs> the industry. The darker crevices, Nate. <laughs> I do not make it up. I'm just reading to you what oh, they is wrote. is that what it actually says? That is what it actually says. And if oh, you look on, the, if you click on the link and you look at it, you will understand. <laughs> and there, and basically they had very traumatic experiences, which makes sense, right? And as a result of it, they're very angry and very homicidal. So that's that's very creative. There will be others, of course, but we just got four four different variants of the Marauder. So to me, what I'm seeing here is a mixture of Age of Wonders 3 and a little bit of civilization beyond Earth, the way the neutrals work there, at least for some of the alien creatures, you know, not the sex bots. Right, yeah. But <laughs> you got to look at the picture. It's it's pretty, I'm it's funny and sad at the same now. time. <laughs> it's funny and sad. It's, it's awesome. I mean, I got to give props to triumph they're doing a killer job they're really using their imagination they're taking they looked it is it is obvious that they looked at some of the most popular games out right now and they're like what can we do to our basic game to make it better what was good with our game what was absent or what was weak where can we improve it and that's what they're doing they're looking for inspiration and you know what hats off to them Keep it up. It's fantastic. If they, if Planetfall, you know, comes out and it's an amazing game, then you know the other studios around are going to be scrambling to be like, no, no, no. This is what we're going to release. So this competition, I think, improves the general product, the overall experience for us. So I'm, I'm so damn hyped for this game. It's crazy. I'm not sure. Everybody loves a good sex bot. Um, I <laughs> but that's know. not. 
don't lie. Come on. You're always pretending you're the innocent. You're not innocent. You know. <laughs> you know. You know. Quit it. Quit uh, it. Whatever I, you say, Mr. Dark Crevices. Let's just move on just to something a little bit more lighthearted. I just read what was written there. Yeah. We're going to talk about Driftland, the magic revival. And this week they talked about, I mean, nothing mechanical with the game just how they made some of their decisions for the factions you would get to play and you know they they put a big list of factions on their whiteboard and they were going through eliminating deciding and one of the ones they really wanted to have in there was the orc but as they were going through making decisions and um deciding what they really wanted for the game they decided that the the their desire to diversify the the races as much as possible was the most important thing. So out went the orcs and in came two factions of elves that you could play and one faction of elves that you can't play. Wait, hold on. So they just added three more factions of elves? No, 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 no. This is oh, this oh. is stuff that's already in the game. Oh, okay. So I was going to say, I'm like, I'm like there's these six guys factions a, of elves. Yeah, well, we tease these guys a little bit about the number of elves in the game. And... um it is kind of funny that they say diversified the the factions as much as possible and they got dark elves wild elves which are the two elves you can play and then the barbaric elves which kind of run around and are a minor faction but anyway i will have to say having played this game the dark elves and the wild elves are very different from each other they're they're i don't i don't even know if they're the same subspecies so anyway it it just kind of struck me as funny and then they also went on to talk about uh, a a book that was really influential on them. I guess a novel, and I don't know how I'm going to do with these names. It's called Shuznikiel in the original language it came from. And then I guess there's a French version called Le Grand Pouvoir de Shuznikiel, which oh I think means the great power or the, the big power of Shuznikiel. Uh, do you know how to pronounce this stuff, Nate? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> I'm not even going to try. Yeah. So anyway, it was a really good book, I guess. And looking at the cover, it kind of reminds me of a cross between The Hobbit and 2001 A Space Odyssey. So uh, imagine that sort of thing. And, yeah. And so anyway, I don't know if there's an English translation of that book out there, but uh, it it does, like, it has me intrigued. I'd be, I'd be really interested to look at it. So they go on to talk about making the models for each of their factions and how they made uh, male and female models for each and uh, how that might have been uh, a bit more challenging for the dwarves because you don't see female dwarves depicted all that much in fantasy literature, fantasy video games, and so on through the humans and wild elves all the way through all their factions and uh, the the concept art and all that sort of thing. So that was kind of interesting. This week it was just more of a, I don't know, lore update then a mechanical update. And so we're going to go right in and talk about Thea 2 next. And it got an update this past week. And uh, it's not, again, this one isn't so much of a mechanical update either. It's more of a roadmap for what's going on. Thea 2 will hit early access on Steam November 30th. So that'll be the first time the general public gets to uh, buy it and start playing it and they gave us kind of a list of where they're going to go next so first is uh steam workshop implementation which is really cool 
that people are going to be able to use the workshop to mod this game. That's awesome. Uh, cloud saves, weather, and I'm just skipping ahead here. This game's going to have a mini-map, which is great. The first one needed a mini-map really bad. I'm glad this one's going to have it. Um, uh, research and uh, polishing events is going to come in there. It seems like they're... Uh, saving some of the icons and things for late in the game, which they did with the original one too, Nate. If you remember, there were a lot yeah, of. Well, uh, they're buying stuff on the Unity store, I think, for that. They're not um, making making it themselves. So, because they're buying stuff, they're probably waiting to see what's like this, what's out at the latest. Do you know what I mean? Because it's a lot cheaper to buy these packages that way or maybe not unity maybe it's a different store i don't know but whatever it's it's cheaper to buy an asset package like that than to hire somebody to make it specifically for you yeah i don't, I don't know what they're doing maybe they're just using placeholders right now but yeah last time uh when the when the first game came out they had a bunch of icons and i thought they were all right and then they put in the ones that they really wanted and i was like wow these look good and then also they announced a tabletop rpg for thea one and that's kind of cool that somebody uh wanted to make a tabletop role-playing game for it i believe the name of the company that's making it is triglov and uh i looked into it a little bit since i have a background in role-playing games and i think it's going to use a d6 dice pool system and i would guess that'd be similar to what west end games used a lot when it was making games um you know, I played a lot of Star Wars uh, role-playing back in the 90s. So mm. uh, I, w I would guess that that's, that's kind of like what you're looking at here. So I downloaded the PDF that's a preview. It looks kind of interesting. Um, but anyway, yeah, interesting things coming out of Muha Games right now. Well, another one thing, more than one thing, but like they're talking about all the people that backed it. So depending on which oh, level you backed rewards, it. right. Yeah, so... That. Yeah, like the portraits, the creatures, the stories, bestiary, things like that. So they're talking about the timeline when that's going to be released and included. But what I like, if you scroll up a little bit, it'll again, this this will be in the notes. They have a picture of the children of Thea. So you have a, basically you get to see five different children. So it looks like you have goblins, you have possibly dwarf, human, orc, and elf, possibly. So it's it's really cool. I, I know people, I've, I've read complaints from some people like, oh, we really love the art in the first game, which I did. And, you know, the new version, it's the colors, it takes away from the first game. And I disagree. I, I, I'm with you 100%. The art is phenomenal. Phenomenal. It's it's awesome. And there's, there's just, just like... And I've and I mean, I have the, kick, the Kickstarter build. I've played it. It's... It looks great. I like a lot of the changes they've made. So it won our game of the year back in 2015. And if uh, Thea 2 manages to do what it wants to do, it'll definitely be a contender for when it gets released, without a doubt. Yeah, I don't question that a bit. So what's next? Okay, Civilization Six. So here's the thing. So remember last week we talked about that there's some rumors out there that there's going to be something coming for Civilization Six like an expansion or yeah, something. Yeah. So uh, this is, um, I'll, I'll include a video. This is a YouTube video where uh, this YouTuber who apparently is a prolific uh, civilization fan and poster on Reddit and uh, various other forums uh, got his hands on some information 
Now, I don't know where he got it. I'm not gonna nothing insidious about this, but it looks like um, it's a character model and it's a picture like of a title, Vesuvius. You know, it's a volcano in Roman times did a lot of damage. Yeah, <laughs> very mm-hmm. important. So um, it shows what looks like a Polynesian male. So immediately makes me think about King Kamehameha, you know? Yeah. And this is not... So Civ 6 is interesting. Civ 6, the character models, you have, I assume, one set that's probably somewhat true to life. And then you have another set that is fantasy. Like they're overly muscled, overly large. And you're thinking like back in those days to, to be able to be like that, you'd have to have an insane amount of exercise mixed with nutrition. It would just be like practically impossible. So the one they have here, so King Kamehameha in five was like, you know, kind of looked a little bit like The Rock, you know, Dwayne Johnson. And here, I don't know, maybe that's a more authentic appearance to maybe a male of that time so i don't know but the reason i'm saying that is because you have um there's a few other pieces of art that are showing some sea tiles maybe it's new districts but when you look at it it makes me think a little bit of beyond earth so i don't know i don't know if this is going to be and and the date that everybody keeps mentioning is february 14th of 2019 so i'm not i don't know Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Maybe we'll, we'll hear more about it soon. Maybe we won't hear anything about it. But from what I've seen so far, the tiny little bit, it makes me feel like this is a sieve pack versus a full expansion. So either way, hey, any content, I think Civ 6 needs another major full expansion in order to really stand out and join its brethren, its predecessors. So... Hopefully, maybe this is like the beginnings, you know, little teases that they're going to be releasing. Because I can't imagine that anybody hacked into Firaxis to get this information. This had to have come from somebody, you know? Uh, yeah, I think if it had been hacked, we'd be hearing about that. Yeah, too. there'd be lawsuits left and right. Or, yeah, some kind of announcement or something. Exactly. So uh, we're going to talk about Star Control here for a little bit. And Star Control Origins got a bit of an update this past week. Uh First, it's getting something called Adventure Studio. And what it is, it's a standalone editor that will let you create your own characters, quests, dialogues, all that stuff for the game. You know, from the very get-go, the developers at Stardock wanted to make Star Control Origins mod-friendly. And they have gone out of their way to do that, and they're still going out of their way to do that with this Adventure Studio. Now... I'm looking at it. I mean, it looks like a bunch of flowcharts and this sort of thing. Uh, it looks very nice, very clean, well organized. Uh, for people who really enjoy modding, I think they're really going to like this. And then we also have some interface improvements. And mainly this is about helping the player not make mistakes. You know, misclicks are uh, so annoying when you're playing when you do something wrong and it was just you didn't mean to so for instance in star control origins it would be easy to sell off a rare commodity that you've been accumulating that you might need for a quest so now when you start a quest that requires one of these uh, rare commodities the game will lock it down where you can't sell it unless you manually unlock it 
So that's going to help the player make fewer mistakes, which is great. Also, uh, the Terrans are getting some colony upgrades to um, improve their colonies, obviously, and uh, add a bit more depth to the game, uh, you know, since that's kind of what you're playing here. So Star Control Origins getting a bit of an update, and uh, for modders, it looks like this is going to be great. Yeah, well, Brad had said from the beginning that uh, their Star Control universe is going to be a multiverse where all the previous Star Control games kind of fit in as different multi as different uh, as a multiversity of different universes, you know, different timelines almost. So by giving this mod support and giving all these tools to the players, the players get to create yours. You know, there's going to be a Star Trek one. There's going to be a Star Wars. I'm hoping for a Babylon 5 one, you know? Yeah, that'd be great. So So now we're going to talk about, like, one of the kings of real-time strategy, and that's Warcraft 3. Blizzard has been doing a lot of work to remaster Warcraft 3, and they're coming out with... Uh, an enhanced version called Warcraft 3 Reforged. And this is going to have all new graphics. And I'm telling you, I'm looking at these graphics and man, they're intense. They look really, really good. Very detailed. Full of color, like the Warcraft universe always was. So that's really good. It's now available for pre-purchase. Like the basic edition, $29.99, so 30 bucks. And then if you want a bunch of useless swag, you can give them 40 bucks, and they'll send you a, a, a bunch of junk that you're probably not going to end up wanting anyhow. But you can give them extra money, and they'll give you extra crap. The big thing is uh, this game is it, it's coming out, and it looks good. It's for modern computers, modern hardware. And, dude, I... <laughs> It, it looks awesome, Nate. I, I liked Warcraft 1 and 2 mm-hmm. better than I liked 3, particularly right. where, like, in 3, you you know, you're, you're following the main storyline, you're following the quest, and, you know, I don't want to give too much for spoilers in case somebody picks this up for the first time, but there's a point where the main character has to make a really tough choice, and I didn't want to make that choice. I wanted to avoid... Uh, making a bad choice, or what I thought was a bad choice. Maybe it's, a, in the end, a good choice. I wanted to avoid that. Well, the game didn't let me. It forced me to make that choice, which I didn't really like. I think that's what turned me off from it more than anything, uh, What was that moment and the fact that you had to play heroes. It wasn't just units. But anyway, this is a big deal. It's coming out. 30 bucks gets you a, a great, a classic game. Uh, meant for high-end computers, and I, I hope people really do enjoy it. Yeah, what I'm curious is if they have when whenever large studios do a remaster to a game that had like if they pick number two or number three, they usually include the stories from the first game. So they kind of did that with in Total War Warhammer Two, where you could still have the campaign from the first game, and you can have all the factions from the first game in the second game, and each one of them can still do their main victory condition, like their faction quest effectively. So it'll be interesting to see if Warcraft 3 Remastered will have Warcraft 1 and Warcraft 2 in it. And um, by the time it got to 3, I was already kind of like over the whole RTS genre, but my brother loves or loved it, so I'll tell him about it. I'm curious to see if he's gonna he's gonna want to pick it up. If, I don't know if he even has the time, but he'll be interested. All right. So for this week, we're going to talk in our what is section. We're going to talk about a game called Waylanders. Now, 
as of the time of recording, I believe that they have met their goal and now they're, yes, they have met their goal and now they have various stretch goals. And basically, let me tell you what this game is. So this game is actually getting quite a bit of attention from mass media, from, you know, PC gamer and stuff like that, rock, paper, shotgun. But what drew me to it was I read something posted by one of the people I follow on Twitter and it caught my attention. So this is basically a party-based RPG, and it is it was inspired by Dragon Age Origins, which is a game I love, Neverwinter Nights 2, and or Baldur's Gate, which are also games I love. So I'm very, very interested in this, just by that in itself. But what makes it even more interesting is this is based on Celtic lore. So one of the things that drew us to Thea, for example, was the fact that it's based on Slavic lore. Very few games ever explored. I mean, you have The Witcher, but, you know, it's very different games. And here you have a game that's based on Celtic lore, which is, again, when most people think about this stuff, they think about stuff like the Fae and this and that, but we don't really know all that much about it. And here we have a game that's a RPG, par, it's a par, it's a party-based RPG. Now, this is going to be um this is going to be like a real time but it looks like it's also going to be possible so it's uh it's interesting it's it's exciting it's going to have um 40 hours 40 or more hours to complete the main campaign it's going to take place in two different time periods where choices in one time period affect another one you're going to have a lot of different, you're going to have six classes and 30 advanced classes with different combinations. And there's four different races and there's just all this kind of interesting stuff. So the links in the notes, if you're interested, check it out. If you're not, check it out anyways. It's it's a cool game. All right. Well, um, let me ask you a question, Troy. You know, whenever we publish uh, reviews, right? We always yeah, have uh-huh. a poll at the bottom. Do you ever click to see like the summation of the poll? Uh, I usually vote like when the article comes out, mm-hmm. and then I probably never look at it again. You never look at it again, right? I lo- but, I unless look I'm at doing it. like research, mm-hmm. you know, like for one of my articles or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I look at them. I'm always interested to look at the poll results. So as of recording, which is a Saturday night, it is November 17th. I will tell you what the results were at the time of this recording. So we we have as choices the five scores that we usually have, which is exemplary, recommended, consider, beware, avoid. So I, I won't go into any details about the scoring of the game because we're going to talk about it on the Audible extension, which is going to be coming up pretty soon. But I will say this. When we were... When I made this, in my head, to myself, I had said that the community reaction to this game is going to be very polarized. Like, for example, if we talk about, like, let's say something like Endless Legend, there's a a large community of people out there that, like me, love the game. And then there's an equally large community of people out there that think it's a great game, but there's a small amount of people that, like, just don't get it. And I don't mean it in a negative way at all. I mean, they look at Endless Legend and they don't get it. It does absolutely nothing for them. So when they hear people that love the game or like the game talk about it, they're like, I don't understand. This game is horrible. We hate it. And then you have people that love 
absolutely love games like Dominions, like Distant Worlds Universe, games that are not graphically intensive, these games that are not, you know, lookers, but they're deep and they have a lot of mechanics behind them and they have a lot of depth and support from the developers. So they have very, very loyal fans. So now, having said both of those things, let me tell you what the vote total is. So 25 votes go to exemplary, like this is the best game ever or one of the best. Nine votes go to recommended, which is how we scored it. We recommend this game. It is a solid 4X. It has a lot of fantastic ideas. It's, it's good heritage, good execution. Four people consider, okay, I can live with that. Three people beware. Okay, I can live with that. 13 people avoid. Now, that kind of threw me for a loop a little bit because even games that are polarizing in nature usually don't have so many people going in a void when it is a, it's a good game, you know? So, and I did not void. I did not, that was not my vote in case anybody's wondering. <laughs> I, I do not let the graph. So the graphics of a game, if I don't like the graphics, I will not play the game. But because I don't like the graphics does not mean that I cannot recognize a good game when it is there in front of me. It's just I choose not to play it because I don't like the graphics. Or some people refer to me as a graphics whore. Hey, it is what it is. But they're like the 13 people that put a void. I'm curious if any of you people want to, if any of you folks want to come into the comments and let us know why you did, why you said that. I, I'd be curious why, because is it more than just the graphics? Is it anything else in particular that could have done it? So I'm curious. So that's that's the first thing. Now, here's the second thing. So this is that was Dominion's five. Now, I'd like to talk about something else. So from time to time, we have listeners to the podcast, community members, developers, publishers, random bots, send emails to the main account <laughs> with <Yeah>. suggestions, <laughs> ideas, invitations for dates, attempts at selling us God knows what. And, um, improve our manhood. Improve that. our, yeah, imp no, no, improve our um, weather stripping, get new windows for the offices, <laughs> yeah. you know, all that stuff. <laughs> something, something in Chinese talking about immigration. I don't know. So here's the thing. This week I got an interesting email from a community member who was asking – it, the first part of his email was talking about the what is. He likes it. It's very interesting. Some of the games he likes, some of the games he's not interested in, but keep it up, which is great. We appreciate it. Thank you. The second part of the email was, was hey, why don't you, would you consider adding a new section, which is a Q&A section, which would have community members asking us questions, and we would pick one or two, and we would answer them at the end of the weekly exchange. Now, here's the thing. I like that idea, but... I see a small problem there. So the questions that he asked were specific to Total War Warhammer games. Now, I'm not an expert in the games. I'm an expert in the lore. I am an expert on tabletop, but I'm not an expert on the computer games because I, I haven't played them. I know they're fantastic. I will play them one of these games. I own the complete first one. I will own the complete second one and the third one. But I could not answer those questions. And the guys that can answer those questions do, by the way, that's... Um, Dallin and Ben, they do our streaming on our Twitch channel, and Dallin makes videos, writes reviews, and things like that. So the guys that can answer it don't appear on the weekly exchange all that often. So here's a follow-up to the listener who wrote that email. How about if we accumulate 
a dozen different Q&A questions and we make a strategic expanse out of it where we discuss those questions in a panel format. What do you think? So by all means, if, you know, if, if this sounds like a good or a bad idea, please let us know. Leave us some feedback in the comments. We're looking forward to reading what you have to say. And with that, Troy, what have you played this week? Uh, well, I played a little bit more of Space Tyrant because mm-hmm. I'm working on the review. I've got about half finished now. Nice. Um, I've been playing a little bit of World of Tanks Blitz. I've, mm-hmm. I started a, a small um, Let's Play series on our YouTube huh? channel for it. I saw so, that. I saw uh, that. There, there's two videos up now. I plan to put up three next week, uh, given uh, internet availability, because I'll be traveling a lot for the American Thanksgiving holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now is a really good time for new people to join the game. It got With the new in, mechanics, right? Yeah, yeah. It got a massive overhaul to make it more friendly for new players. And uh, I think it's a really, really good update for the game. Nice. I'm excited about it. Uh, just today, mm-hmm. uh, for World of Tanks Blitz, they held their what they call their Twister Cup, which is their esports championship, and it was somebody uh, won. Oh yeah, it was four hours of some of the best tanking I've ever seen. This team won it when they discovered, you know how in online games there's invisible walls that yes. kind of keep you in bounds. Well, they discovered that one of the invisible walls wasn't very high, and so they pushed a tank over the invisible wall, and he got into an area of a map, like, way high up on the mountain. And he was just blasting everybody from up on high? Yeah, the other team couldn't get close enough to see him, and so he was just launching shell after shell, just raining down on the other team, and they they couldn't find him, They, they didn't know where he was, and um, it was it was an amazing match to watch. Uh, it it was like the commentators are both ex- very experienced players. Each of them have forty fifty thousand games played. Okay, and they were both going. This will never work. I mean, this used to be something we could do, but they patched out of the game. They'll never get that tank over. They're just wasting their time. They're going to get creamed. And then they got them over, and they went crazy. It was an amazing match to watch. I thoroughly enjoyed myself watching. I, I think you have to be there. I, I Yeah, you probably do. I'm probably fan. going on and on about this. But essentially, I mean, it was... It, it was pretty cool. What about you? What have you played? So this week I played a lot of different games, all of them named Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> oh, my God. It has taken over my life. It is such – oh, it is amazing. I, I cannot say anything about – I can say a lot of things about it. I will not say anything about it because I do not want to spoil anything. But there's so much going on. It's crazy. Another thing, I did a little bit more of uh, Mutant Year Zero, Road to Eden. So I'm very much looking forward to it. And then uh, Phoenix Point, Backer Build 3, messed around with that. I am so hyped for that. It's crazy. And at the same time, I have access. I could be messing with the third backer build. I could be playing more of Mutineer Zero, which is another good squad tactics game. I'm really into squad tactics right now. I could be playing XCOM 2, which basically took over my life for a couple of years there. There's a lot of stuff I could be playing, but I'm not playing any of it. I'm only playing Red Dead Redemption 2. It's that good. And uh, a new game joins the pool of squad tactics, which is Warhammer 40k Dark Mechanicus. Now, I got the key through our curator page. It was 
offered to us directly. So I took it and I'm going to be messing with it. And I'm, I'm, I'm really curious about it because a lot of games of this nature, there are ways to play them indefinitely. You can prolong the story as much as you want. In Dark Mechanicus, you can't. You have a limited amount of turns or a limited amount of engagements, and that's it. So you will only go as far as you go, assuming you make it to the end within that. And that's that's an interesting mechanic. I'm curious to see how it plays out. But in order for me to test it, I actually have to put down Red Dead Redemption 2 long enough to play something else, and I can't. It's that good. <laughs> so... I, I mean, it's not like it was a secret. I warned everybody for months. For, for a year, I've been telling everybody that when it comes out, I'm going to dive in. And yeah, it's it's <laughs> as soon as we're done recording, I'm going back in. <laughs> so that's it. So um, I, think, I think that's it. I just want to say thank you to our patrons for supporting us. We really appreciate it. You're all awesome. Thank you for our community members for listening to our shows, reading our reviews, posting in our forums. We love the discussions. We love the the conversations that are being had, the exchange. So keep it up. And uh, I think that's it. What about you, Troy? No, I think that'll do it for this week. Uh, we'd like to thank everyone for joining us on the podcast. We really enjoyed having you with us. This has been Troy and Nate for Explorminate. Take care, everyone. See ya.
Thank you.